Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. St. Bridget Parish had one of the most Irish names you could imagine, and the parish community was almost entirely black. Father Ambrose had connected with them during his years as headmaster, and built up a connection between his predominantly white abbey and school and the black parish originally started by Irish immigrants. The present-day parishioners were mostly working class and maintained some dated but classic beautiful buildings for their church and small school. The thing that drew Father Ambrose in was their food pantry. The parish community, even with limited means, committed to underwriting and staffing an on-site food pantry to feed the hungry of their neighborhood. Over time, Father Ambrose wondered if the volunteers of the parish might come to know him, and through him the academy, and consider sending their kids there. He tried to build a relationship with self-awareness about white savior connotations, and hoped his authenticity would show through. Ultimately, what meant the most to him was the chance to take students from his school and show them a community that prioritized the right things and lived out the gospel. On service trips, 10 students at a time, Ambrose cherished the way these mostly retired, mostly female Catholics at this parish taught his young men how to humbly and concretely serve. The parishes nearer to the academy often struggled to prioritize hands-on outreach and service with encounter, and had too narrow an imagination of lived faith that served directly. Father Ambrose cherished the relationship with St. Bridget and prioritized it in his role. He was elated when, in his final year as headmaster, three young men from the parish came to the academy for ninth grade. When Ambrose retired as headmaster, he missed the regular visits and worried this cherished relationship would lapse. Noah remembered St. Bridget a little, having gone once, maybe twice, on a service outing with the monks as a student. This time, many years later, he got the invite through the same alumni channel that brought him to Kentucky for that monastic retreat. Noah was still hit or miss in his evolving prayer life. The one thing he had pinned down for sure was that he was of clearest mind and most attuned heart when he invited the faithful direction of others and followed it enthusiastically. So this particular early spring Saturday, 
Noah drove over to Cistercian Academy, where Father Ambrose was convening a dozen adult men and driving them in the school's 15-passenger van to feed the hungry with the good people of St. Bridget. The van was a bit snug for 13 grown men, but they piled in all the same. Father Ambrose barked a bit of a reorientation to the men, facing forward to drive but projecting a raspy lecture backward. He shared about the parish and the ministry as he piloted the massive vehicle. His final thought to the men, be Christ for others and see Christ in others. Noah listened along, watching as the neighborhood outside his window shifted from the familiar environment of upper-class, newer construction, let's be honest, mostly white, suburbia, to the less familiar shades and images of the working-class end of town. Father Ambrose pulled the ostentatiously branded people mover onto the crackly pavement of St. Bridget's parking lot and put the vehicle to rest near a chain-link fence beside the parish buildings. The dozen men filed out of their sardine can van and followed the good monk through a gap between the buildings to a small courtyard. There awaited a trailer-style building and an increasingly bustling scene. Mr. Page, Father Ambrose called endearingly as he embraced a strong, sturdy, middle-aged black man. Folks, this is Mr. Page. He runs the show. When he asks you to do something, think of it as a request from Jesus himself. Mr. Page laughed, and his broad shoulders bounced under his construction-grade jacket. He held a pair of weathered work gloves in one powerfully gripping hand. Welcome, everyone. We've got an hour left to get tables up, move pallets, pre-bag food, and stage the line. The clients start rolling in at 10, two hours pretty steady, and then we close up shop. The ladies run the tables to check them in, and then the clients visit each station and get up to the limit we set for each food item. Everyone is on setup until 5 to 10 when we circle up to pray and then open the doors, Mr. Page explained. You six, come with me. We got surplus to move out to the yard here. You six, head over to Miss Joyce and she'll get you pre-bagging. Noah headed with the five other folks to haul out surplus, and he was excited. It was like going to the car wash. Park the car over the track put it in neutral, and let the machinery take you through. No one knew if he kept a positive, humble attitude, did what he was asked, and discharged his duties with patience, that he was right where he needed to be. Come 12.30, their work for the morning was done. Tables folded and stacked, pallets consolidated and stored, garbage tied off and hauled away, boxes flattened and recycled, mouths and hearts fed on the food line, weary volunteers' souls ready to take a load off. Father Ambrose took the men into the parish church, where Mr. Page had unlocked the side door and kick-stopped it open. He stood on guard for a moment to shake hands, and wow, what a handshake, with each of the men as they filed into the church and sat in the pews. Mr. Page barked one last baritone, thank you, from behind the men that echoed off the church's walls over the heads of the group. Father Ambrose put his hands together as if to pray and mouthed thank you back to the faithful foreman, who nodded and let the door close. The hinge pulled the door shut with an echoing thud that resounded for a good few seconds. The men looked around from high to low, back to front, slowly zeroing in on Father Ambrose as he began a debrief. Amazing, just amazing. You saw the full force of a community in motion to live the gospel. A typical day of service here is 300 to 400 clients, and today 430 neighbors have come through. All on the backs of volunteer labor, elective charitable giving, and the space that a faith community has chosen to dedicate to feeding the hungry. The good of the people of St. Bridget never ceases to astound me, and they do it all with an of-course-we-do attitude that wants no spotlight and no rewards. 
I'm so glad you could all be here this morning with me, with these men and women, and with the hungry residents of this neighborhood, Father Ambrose reflected. He took a beat. This place and these people were clearly deeply special to him. Now, I know on retreat, for those that were there with me, we didn't have many discussions or sharing moments. It was largely an independent experience. But I wondered if this morning any of you might care to share a small observation from your hours serving here. One man spoke right up. I couldn't believe how kind the clients were to us, he acknowledged, looking at the other men for agreement. I mean, I think I was struggling harder to be patient and positive than they were. I think I heard God bless you more times today than I have in the last few years. I mean, besides when I sneeze, the other men chuckled. Another man echoed that. Toward the end, when we stopped limiting the take and let people have whatever they wanted, most of them were so reticent to take more. There was such a sense of community of considering the people after them or not taking more if they didn't need it and worried they'd waste it. That sort of awareness and discipline kind of blew my mind. Father Ambrose was smiling earnestly. Noah looked toward him and caught the altarpiece and crucifix and tabernacle in the same line of sight. Noah couldn't help but realize Father Ambrose, too, was right where he needed to be. Noah took his turn next. I am in awe of, Father, of Mr. Page, of the volunteers, of the parish. All I can remember from parish life growing up is collection baskets and food and clothing drives and special fundraisers for missions and partner parishes. I don't remember doing anything like this off-site, actually at those places where there might be greater need, let alone on our own grounds, Noah explained. I feel like if I came here for Sunday Mass, I'd think about my prayer and belonging quite differently, knowing that the same facilities are used to feed the hungry each week, and that the community's liturgy and prayer and social fellowship are all oriented to that ministry. It's kind of turned my conception of parish life inside out. Some of the men murmured in agreement, apparently intrigued by Noah's point. Thank you, Noah, that's so insightful and such a testament to the good of this community, Father Ambrose replied. Noah receded a bit into himself. He had kind of realized that point just as he was making it and now felt awash in the realization. The morning of service hadn't been a robotic, thoughtless period for him. He had felt some sense of peace or grace or calm or whatever. No matter what exactly it was, it was at least the absence of anxieties. Speaking up in this mini-discussion was the first thing he'd done unprompted, and the first thing he'd done outside the simple directions he'd been happily following for hours. Noah exhaled and sunk a bit into his seat. This mindset was life-giving and fulfilling, but he often felt a bit tired after realizing the shift. He more or less zoned out of the last few minutes of discussion. It was a good sort of tired. Shortly, the men were up and moving, heading back to their clown car of a van. Noah was moving slowly and ended up one of the last ones to pile in. He took a seat in the front passenger row, just behind Father Ambrose's driver's seat. The last men in pulled the heavy doors shut. The old monk gently rolled the van backward over the bumps and cracks in the ground, before shifting to drive and steering the long vehicle carefully out of the uneven lot. As the wheels bounced over the curb and into the street, Noah's eyes were glued to the church and parish campus. The white-gray blend of the parking lot gave way to the numerous cracks full of grassy weeds that interrupted the regular yellow parking space lines. A modest but stalwart chain-link fence separated the edge of the lot from the neighboring homes. Rising above those, the reds and browns of the old brick church stood together around the hard gray strips of mortar, patterned by the brown-gray stony borders of the stained glass windows that invited the light into the church. 
As the bus turned the corner, Noah had one last perspective into the church courtyard, where hundreds had just been fed. The creaky, rustic existence of the food pantry trailer was an insufficient testament to the unflinching and constant presence of this community and its ministry. Noah felt torn. He thought that they deserved finer facilities to do such important work, but also found the simplicity and functionality of what was there to be so very apt. Father Ambrose was now driving away, down the main street that ran across the face of the campus. Noah remembered learning that this was where the clients queued up, often arriving hours before the pantry opened to secure a good place in line. He imagined dozens of people milling about the sidewalk, parking their wheeled baskets and mini carts in line, arranging their bags to receive the food, chatting with each other about the neighborhood scuttlebutt. Noah looked past there to the block's corner to see a rundown gas station with lots of cigarette ads filling the windows. Down the block, he saw chain-link fences along front yards, kids walking the sidewalk, and adults sitting on the front porches conversing with passers-by. The realities felt incongruous as Noah looked on. How does such a rich and tight-knit community also have to struggle with such dilapidation, poverty, hunger, vulnerability? Why? How do you uplift a community without turning it rich and white? Noah puzzled in his head. At once, Noah could sense his profound privilege and was also crippled against answering in any significant way. It was empathy, guilt, and paralysis. The van continued away from the parish down the main street. Noah's mind shifted from those enormous foundational issues to more practical questions. In the moments of formation Noah and his volunteer year housemates received, a mentor at Catholic Charities had challenged them to distinguish charity and justice, and to strive to do both that year. She explained that charity is what you do to respond to an urgent pressing need, while seeking justice means addressing root causes and changing systems to prevent as many of those needs from happening or getting out of control. Put simply, she told them, feed the hungry person before you. Then when they head on their way, ask why they're hungry in the first place and seek to respond to that. The van sped down the highway on-ramp into a merge, but Noah was still in first gear struggling to see the path to justice. He had found that elusive feeling through obedient service by simply following the directions of Mr. Page and the volunteers and giving of himself into their charitable ministry with and for their neighbors. His look out the window stretched to a seven-mile stare as he thought about the dissonance still eddying. There was this apparent obviousness of this important community ministry. Beneath that, there was a sharply exposed truth that Noah himself had never seen much of anything like it where he grew up. He started to see the shape of his childhood parish. There was the standalone church, a classic cruciform brick building with simple steeple and bell tower over the entrance. The church was surrounded by a sizable green space, a lawn of sorts for the rectory on one side and the parish community hall and offices on the other. In front of the suburban church was a truly suburban parking lot, plenty big enough to accommodate even the biggest Sunday mass crowd, and almost enough capacity to stomach the Christmas and Easter rushes. As Noah saw the deep blacks of the freshly paved lot surface sharply contrasted to the cleanly painted bright yellow parking lines, he also saw what looked like a small vehicle in the back corner of the lot. It sat along the property line of a tall wooden fence where the parish lot gave way to the residential neighborhood. Is that a truck? A mobile medical unit? Did someone get permission to park an RV or trailer here or something? Noah walked across the parish parking lot, and a double-wide trailer with a short four-step entry staircase came into focus. We're going to need to get a ramp, Noah thought. 
Without thinking twice, Noah ascended the steps to enter, but the door was locked. Instinctively, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a key. As Noah inserted the key into the door lock, he saw a paper ring with foil outline dangling jankily. The paper had been freshly labeled with runny pen ink. Pantry trailer. Noah tried the key, and sure enough, it turned the lock and opened the door. He then beheld a familiar yet new sight. The trailer's space had been made wide open, with only the old bathroom and its walls intact. The whole floor plan was laid out strategically. The entry door was smack in the middle of one of the long sides. Noah turned to his left, where he saw a long desk-style table with a power strip, a handful of plugged-in chargers, and a hodgepodge of laptops stationed at the five chairs that fit at the desk. Past that station, starting near the first corner, there were sets of items waiting to be stationed a pack of plastic grocery bags on a hook on the wall, an empty pallet just below that, and then a folding table rested on its side. This pattern continued across the three sides of the room until it gave way to another smaller table stationed in front of a bulletin board. Tacked into the fresh corkboard were neatly spaced resource flyers on job training, SNAP benefits access, addiction and substance abuse counseling, a mass schedule for the parish, and brochures for reconciliation and pastoral counseling. As Noah's visual survey completed its circuit, he next noticed the ground. An economical all-weather carpet spanned the space, bespeckled with labeling. Right beneath his feet was a green arrow pointing leftward. There to his left, beside the work table, were five green circles that said, Start Here. Beyond the last green dot were yellow arrows that circuited the room, each one about ten feet from the wall to plot a lane around the trailer, clockwise, ending near the bulletin board. This was a food pantry, or at least it was going to be. Noah was pleasantly surprised and excited to see such a place on the campus of his old parish. He turned to look back at the campus through the open doorway and reorient himself. Then he saw a car in the lot that had just turned off its engine. The door opened and Mr. Page got out. After Mr. Page shut the door, he looked around a minute and caught sight of the trailer. He threw his hands up in celebration when he saw it. Noah laughed. Mr. Page walked over to the trailer at a brisk pace. When he was reasonably close, his joyful voice cut through the spring air. Noah, my man, it's happening. Mr. Page climbed the steps. He reached for Noah and clasped his hand with a strong grip and added an affectionate back-pounding hug. With Noah in his arms, Mr. Page declared, Y'all gonna need a ramp. The pantry veteran then took a slow lap around the trailer. I can see it now, he celebrated. Pallets along the walls, tables along the arrows, lots of hungry people getting happy on the line. Noah was looking on with some disbelief, but had been infected by the joy. Man, good on you for stepping up. Bold of you to come forward and challenge the parish and commit yourself. But good on the parish for footing the bill, for the pantry and for you, Mr. Page declared. Wait, so I'm in charge here? And they're paying me? And the parish is underwriting the food? Whoa, 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 Noah thought. My parish? The one I went to as a kid? Huh. Now, the logistics might seem like a nightmare, but you know I got you, Mr. Page started. He slowed his pace, maintaining his excitement, but shifting to a matter-of-fact sort of mild pep talk. I can teach you the way to work with the depository, to adjust your requests, work with the intake data, and make the best guesses for your orders. Stick with me and I'll get you there. The thing you need to worry about? Praying and recruiting. Build yourself a crew, young and old, men and women, and get them coming and working. The good will happen, he declared. 
Mr. Page broke off and started pacing the room again. He had a springy stride and joy in his eyes. Noah was feeling a bit overwhelmed at first, but listening to Mr. Page put him in that calmed preparedness. Anxieties dissipated because he knew he could simply go where a humble, faithful friend was pointing him. Something about following the lead of such a faith-filled and service-minded person soothed his soul. He watched as Mr. Page reached the far corner and spun to come back toward him. As he approached, the clouds broke. The sun brightened and shined through the window and door, enough to glare in Noah's face. Noah shrugged the glimmers away as he blinked to focus. His eyes readjusted, and he saw a tall, broad-shouldered man jogging across a, a crosswalk before breaking his stride to walk once he reached the sidewalk again. No one knew that intersection. The van was just a block away from Cistercian's campus. The man before Noah was a random pedestrian. The van zoomed on, and Noah looked over his shoulder, out the window, but had lost sight of the man. His ride now reached its destination. Noah saw the familiar stone sign of the academy, and Father Ambrose brought the van to rest in the school lot. Noah was one of the first ones out, and one of the first to shake Father Ambrose's hand in gratitude with a nod. Thanks for coming, and thanks too for speaking up, Father Ambrose emphasized, raising a brow to Noah. God is granting you clarity. Noah nodded along and quickly headed on to his car, largely to give way to the parade of grown men behind him still endeavoring to climb out. As he picked up the pace and reached for his keys, he stutter-stepped and almost tripped over nothing. Clarity, he thought. Did Father Ambrose just identify clarity in my words? Did I hear him correctly or is that wishful thinking? Now, why would I reword such a straightforward comment? He said he witnessed clarity in me. I have felt like my prayer is being answered, but it's really something if others can see its answer, too. Noah quickly recombobulated himself to continue walking as if he was a normal human being. He clicked the remote to unlock his car and climb in. At this point, his inner monologue needed to come out. In lieu of a journal or a handy dialogue partner in the passenger seat, he just started talking out loud. If people see me, maybe they'll think I'm on a call over Bluetooth and not talking aloud to no one. I mean, to God. Talking to God, Noah thought. Okay, service. Love service. Love being with people. Don't mind the hustle and the exhaustion. I might get emptied out in one way, but I feel filled back up to the same levels or higher than before, Noah started, opening the floodgates on a stream of consciousness. Here's another time, too, where I go somewhere that I trust and believe is a good and worthwhile and love-filled place and kind of put my head down and go where I'm taken and do what's asked. And I end up a bit pooped, but then feeling not just great, but steady and peaceful, peace-filled, and today so peace-filled, even to the point where I'm blurting the unpolished thoughts spinning in my mind, mostly unsolicited, and don't immediately feel self-doubt and regret. And I mean even the reality that, like with the retreat, I got my act together to make the time and commit and show up and do it for real. That doesn't always happen like that. And the way Mr. Page and Father Ambrose received me feels like I'm not just seeing a rosy version of myself. Others are seeing something in me too. But like, could a washed-up entry-level sociologist who adjusts insurance claims really run a food pantry? Is what is probably a pretty modest stipend the way to make myself get serious and commit extra time and energy? Is running a food pantry the way to get my punch clock career in context, to keep collecting the solid paycheck and benefits and then pour my full self into a side thing? I guess I've thought about accepting a drab career for what it is. I guess I've thought about trying to find a career that's fulfilling. But if I thought about treating my 8 to 5 as my way to be stable and secure and the means by which I free myself up to be more carefree and passionately active in non-work things, 
I don't know if it had occurred to me to leave my job alone and just spend my time differently. Could I find something more if I flesh out that framework? Noah had talked himself, prayed himself even, to a new line of questioning. He sat quiet for a minute, resting on the new terrain. He nodded a bit and then started the car. He could have benefited from a bit of active listening. Grace was still moving in him and around him. He had tried his hand at something and was tapped out for now. Noah was moving on. He shifted into drive and eased off the brake to pull out of the school lot. He stopped at the turnout to find his brake in traffic. As he waited for one last car to pass him by before making his right turn, he heard a few voices walking toward him on the sidewalk. Noah moved his foot to the gas pedal and accelerated to turn out of the lot. As Noah squared his turn and drove away, he saw the pedestrians in his rearview mirror. They had turned to head toward campus. It was a few of the monks. Was that Father C? Noah wondered. So as a companion reflection to this chapter, I couldn't help but share one of my all-time favorite stories from my years of ministry with young people. And it comes from my first full-time job in high school campus ministry. I'd come off a year in which I was teaching and doing campus ministry at another school, kind of learning the ropes from some really great mentors and people who could set a great example by the things they do and also the programs they got up and running and um, working for our students. And one of the things I really liked that I'd never seen before when I was a young person was an educational immersion where you go and spend time in an urban setting, do direct service, pray, receive the Eucharist together, and do faith sharing while you're still in the thick of everything and really try to make an impact on spirituality and to spur people to do more, uh, to, to seek justice and to walk with and accompany people who society likes to try to marginalize. So in my first full-time job, I said, I have to get students from this school into the city, into Chicago, doing direct service, praying together, receiving the Eucharist together, and learning about how they can make this a bigger part of their lives and their faith lives. So part of it was that I wanted to get them in situations where they were meeting emergent needs like feeding the hungry. So I looked for a food pantry where we could serve, and I happened to find a parish. And I was able to eventually make some phone calls, leave a voicemail, and connect with somebody who said, yes, we're a food pantry based at a parish. We're open on Wednesday mornings. You're welcome to come and serve. But then when we got close to our first trip and I had gotten my first group together, I was making confirmation uh, messages and phone calls to all of our sites to firm up our schedule, and I didn't hear anything back from anybody, and I started to get nervous about this food pantry. And I eventually got through to someone who said, that they had been let go and they no longer worked there and that I should try calling the deacon at the parish. Well, either his voice mailbox was full or he doesn't check it often enough at that time, but I couldn't get through to anyone. So I decided it was time to take the kids on the trip. We were just going to move through the schedules. I laid it out. And when that Wednesday morning, this the time when we woke up and continued into the second of the two days, it was a Catholic church who was trying to feed the hungry and we were a group of Catholic students trying to pitch in that we would just show up and see what happened and hope that this four-hour block that I had left for a food pantry would be filled by something good and joyful. Well, sure enough, when we arrived, a very kind man who seemed like maybe he knew we were coming but maybe didn't have all the details welcomed us right in, uh, brought us to different stations where we could help with bagging fruit, 
staging tables, preparing uh, this small trailer in the parish parking lot to receive its clients for the morning, and just kind of being uh, extra pairs of hands on deck. And we spent two hours with the volunteers of the parish preparing everything, another two hours working alongside them as we helped distribute food to clients who came to do their food pantry shopping for the week. And then even a few more minutes at the end helping them to clean up and even overstaying past the four hours we thought we'd be there. And the whole thing was such an amazing example of a community that simply saw a need right in front of them in their own neighborhood and took something meaningful to them, that being their parish and their commitment to that faith community, and put it to the work of that need in their community with such joy and commitment. Because I took students back to the same food pantry several times a year for many years in a row. And I don't think I've ever seen a better example of joy and fidelity. And to see it from a parish that's nestled into a part of the city that many people would prefer never to set foot in. And to see that it's not only happening every week, but happening with deep joy and without any attention being called to it was just such a gift for me and I hope for my young people too, who I hope will integrate that sort of spirit into their lives of faith. As a campus minister and a theology teacher, I would always try to get my students to understand the difference between charity and justice and the need that we have in society for both. Charity means meeting the need right in front of you that emerges from chronic problems like hunger, um, a lack of affordable housing, insufficient health care, but it also means responding to things like natural disasters or power outages um, or, or other issues that pop up unexpectedly. Justice then is what you do to look at those perennial issues and try to get at the root problems that lie underneath them to make systemic change that makes those problems less likely to recur in the future. That's a really tough distinction for young people, but I think when they get into a situation where they see how charity is done, it starts to force them to ask the question of why that charity is necessary and hopefully spurs them toward a greater consideration of justice. I will always be grateful for the way that I saw joy and fidelity modeled in acts of charity over and over again by these wonderful people at this wonderful parish on Chicago's South Side. And I always hope that young people will have that experience pinballing around in their heads as they come of age, as they learn to think critically, as they come to ask bigger and harder questions of themselves and society. And I always hope when they acknowledge that there are communities and populations in American society that are pushed to the edges, whose voices are ignored or silenced, that as they come to identify where their passions lie in feeling really strong solidarity with these under-listened-to and under-accompanied populations, that they'll remember folks like those at St. Columbanus Parish, like Preston and Arbel and Mr. Barlow and Miss Joyce and everybody who does it right, that those examples will spur them not just to find ways to do charity in their college and post-grad and adult lives, but to figure out how they can try to seek greater justice too. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Thanks for listening. 
and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.